What's up, everybody? Welcome to another long-form episode of The Fitness Oracle. Today, we sit down with Maria Lessi, who has developed an insatiable desire to heal the world from grief. After seven years of being a mindset mentor, her tools were put to the test when adversity shook her family of four. Her husband, Rob, passed away on a business trip when their boys were only 10 and 8. And Marie has took everything that she has learned to become a shining example for her sons and for now, and now for thousands of people around the globe. Um, this conversation that I had with Marie um, was a deep conversation. It was one of those conversations that will shake you to the core of who you are and what you, um, what you deem to be acceptable in life. Now, there's the things that we talked about were all surrounding grief and how to relook at it and how to take a new twist to the to to it. We looked at choices. Uh, we talked about healing methods. We talked about empowering yourself in hard times. We talked about the myths that surround grief, which is a huge topic. And we talked about the labels and expectations that others put on you rather than you putting on yourself because of how they think that we're supposed to be living. It's an interesting outlook on how she has dealt with these things. And I know that you're going to get a huge amount of um, amazing, amazing, amazing tips and tricks. So pull out your pen and paper, boys and girls, because this is going to be a good episode. I'll see you guys on the flip side. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Marie Alessi from Loving Life After Loss. Marie loves life. She has developed an insatiable desire to heal the world from grief. After seven years of being a mindset mentor, her tools were put to the test when adversity shook her family of four. Her husband, Rob, passed away on a business trip when their boys were only 10 and 8. Marie took everything she had learned to become a shining example for her sons and now thousands of people around the globe. Marie, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Um. How is lovely Australia? I have family down there. It is absolutely freezing today, believe it or not. Like it's the first day of winter today for us. And uh, yeah, I actually expect to see some snow, which really happens where I live, but it's just really freezing. <laughs> well, um, I can't say that I miss the snow, but so I won't say that I miss the snow. <laughs> I don't either. That's why I moved to Australia. I'm actually originally from Austria, so there's lots of snow there. But uh, yeah, I moved here for the warmth, not for winter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I got to ask, what initially got you interested in this kind of work? 
Um, well, <laughs> it was not that I was ever interested in working with grief, to be honest, but uh, my husband passed away very unexpectedly almost four years ago. And I had previously been a mindset mentor. So I worked a lot with mindset and inner growth, personal growth to help people on the business growth journey. And when Rob passed, I closed down the business because I literally had nothing left for other clients. I needed to have the focus in my family on my healing, on holding space for the boys. They were only 10 and eight at the time. And somehow the path really presented itself. It was a given for me when I showed up very differently in the world in the terms of how I handled my grief, how I turned and actively chose um, happiness in my life. I wanted to create a happy life for the boys and I. So obviously society did not expect that. And by the reaction of it, I decided to write a book about it. And when the book ranked in the top 100 of Australia, I thought, okay, I've got something the world needs. And that's how, uh, yeah, the book planted a seed and the seed became a movement. And that's how I got into the work of helping people on their healing journey. I'm here to heal the world from grief. It's interesting because you're the second, per you're the second person I've had on the show that, that, that works specifically with grief. And I'm mm -hmm. so happy that you said yes to come on this show because I know there's a lot <laughs> of people in this world that are dealing with grief. Yeah. Um, have there been moments where you've just said, you know what, enough is enough. I've had enough of this. I'm just going to quit. Just going to go get a nine to five job and just. God, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. A very heartfelt, honest. Yes, I had these moments and I had the moments, these moments a couple of times. I remember distinctly after the very first retreat I ran, it was in the first year of running Loving Love Angeles. And I knew when I opened the doors in March that I will be running a retreat in November. Don't ask me why. All these things just came to me and uh, I would put it all down under the umbrella of intuition. It just all really presented itself to me. And I had run retreats before, but never in the space of grief. So I was not prepared for what came thereafter I was very well prepared for during the retreat but thereafter I really collapsed emotionally it was intense and I remember taking so I, I literally dragged myself through December I remember that and in January I had a conversation and said I really feel like stepping away from it all and I had a conversation with my beautiful team of moderators and I said I need three weeks off. I really need to retreat myself. I need to, um, yeah, turn inwards and see and do a bit of soul searching, see what I want to do with it. They were fantastic. They just took over the group for three weeks, no questions asked, put a post up for me. I'll be, you know, spending time with my family and I need some time away. And they just took over, which was fantastic. Yet every time I stepped away, I realized that's all I needed. I needed to step away to gain a different perspective and to reconnect to my why. And my why is very strong. And that's why I know I'm on the right path. I just know I'm on the right path. But I, I'd be lying if I'd say I didn't have these moments because at the end of the day, even though my focus is on healing and on happiness and not on grief, this is still where I'm picking my clients up from and the members of the group up from. So I constantly touch base with the topic of grief and I am absolutely okay with that. Yet I do need 
to be very mindful of my own self-care and my own routine to keep my focus on happiness, if that makes sense, and healing. Absolutely, it does. Um, you said something very powerful there, um, your, your why. I've been mm. obsessed with people's why for the yeah. last two years. Um, mm. When it comes to topics like your grief and, and losing mm -hmm. somebody that's important to you, somebody that's close to you, someone that you had yeah. some kind of like relationship with, mm. do you find it hard to be able to tap into the why when the whole world around you is crashing in on you? I think it's the complete opposite. It's like when the whole world is crashing and you need a strong why, you know, that's the one thing that holds you upright. That's in my case anyway. Um, the why is a very interesting question. I, I agree with you, John, because a lot of people use that why as in why did this happen? You know, why did this happen to me? And that's the mindset that a lot of people have. Why did this happen to me? It's a victimhood mindset. And I'll say that with a whole lot of respect where people are at when they experience adversity like that, because of course you do feel like this is happening to you and the world is crashing down. Yet my mindset is very different and always has been. I always had the very strong belief that life is happening for me, not to me. And even the time when Rob died, I still knew there has to be a huge purpose. Otherwise something like that wouldn't happen. And I trusted in that very deeply. I had huge trust in that there is a reason for that. I was not in a rush to find out because I knew my focus had to be on healing. My focus had to be on being in the moment and holding space for the boys. So I didn't rush that. Why did that happen as in the purpose, finding the purpose around it? Yet I had a, I would call it a very enlightening epiphany, not too long after Rob died. And I had this whole I, I don't know how to put this. It was a very deep understanding that all of this was part of our soul contract. And that really filled my heart with so much joy and peace that I thought there's so much love in this. There is so much love in this that Rob died for me to move forward and help the world in healing grief, if that makes sense. Um, that's very much in a nutshell and very much put in a very basic concept but this is the overall concept that I got from this if that makes sense so there's mm -hmm. a huge why behind all of that that makes 100% sense it really does mm -hmm. I mean uh, like like you said it's such a powerful question the why like mm -hmm. why why did this happen and stuff like that but um, when it comes to grieving we're gonna talk we're gonna talk a lot more into the myths behind mm -hmm. it and all that and all that yeah. fun stuff um, mm -hmm. But I want to get your 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 perspective on um, the different stages of grieving because everybody grieves differently. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. What, I agree. What have you seen in in the past, and how do you help people um, through those stages? Mm. So I want to start with a huge myth buster here, and that is there are no stages of grief there are no stages of grief and the stages of grief I put that on a huge quotation marks that everyone talks about uh, by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Dr Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote these stages for terminally ill people never intended for grief 
I have no idea when society turned that into stages of grief because they're never aware. And when you think about those stages that everybody refers to as stages of grief, when you think about that in terms of terminally ill people, it makes a lot more sense. You know, the, the shock, the denial, the bargaining. This is for terminally ill people, not for people experiencing grief. So yes, I agree with you. Everyone grieves so differently. And yes, there is, from what I have experienced, very often or mostly this element of shock, of course, in particular when it is sudden, like it was in our case, it was no pre-warning. Rob died from a brain, brain uh, aneurysm while he was on a business trip away. There was no pre-warning. There was no signs that it could have potentially happened. He was absolutely healthy and in a prime of his life, age of 45, he was a surfer. He was really fit and healthy, you know. Um, so to me, there is um, a phase where people, I always say it, like healing is a decision, you know. It really takes a decision that you want to heal and that you do want to allow happiness back in. So I always say healing and happiness are choices that we can make at any given stage. And there is this phase where people... Um, question whether that will ever happen for them again or whether healing is even possible because society also has brainwashed us with the idea that grief will stay with us forever i don't agree with that i do not agree with that with all due respect um, it's a choice grief can visit us every now and then and grief can come in form of memories when all of a sudden you you hear a certain so song or you watch a particular movie and it triggers emotions in you and you might have a huge cry or a sobbing cry or a little bit of tears coming out that doesn't mean that grief stays with you forever it's it's absolute um yeah i i think it's absolutely brainwashed by society and it also pushes expectations on us that this is how we are supposed to be the pain is supposed to be with us forever i don't agree with that so i think the most important part on a healing journey is to want to heal to allow that in to make the decision that i want to feel better i want to have happiness in my life again i want to allow, allow joy in and here's the thing love is absolutely simple love just wants you to be happy that's how simple love is we tend to overcomplicate love because we put conditions on it and this is just a human experience. You know, it's part of being human to add conditions to love. And we can talk about that for hours and if it's unfortunate or not, or if it's just the way it is. But if you just focus on what's important, love is simple. Love just wants you to be happy. And when you take that, and I put myself into my husband's perspective, who has passed close to four years ago now, and he'd be looking down on us, he has so much love for us. Why would he want anything else but joy for us? It doesn't make sense. Of course, he wants us to be happy. If I played a role reversal and it was me who had passed and I'm looking down on Rob and the boys, I want them to be happy, nothing else. I want them to enjoy life and have fun and really experience purest joy. That's all I want. So there's always this process of coming to terms with that, that it is okay to be happy. And then it's also okay to be sad. But grief is not a place to reside. Sadness is not a place to get stuck in. It's an emotion to live and to allow that emotion to come out and cry it out. And it's okay. But don't stay stuck there. It's not a place to reside.
Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yes. And you've brought up so many amazing talking points <laughs> with that. Like I'm like, I'm waiting. I was waiting to chomp on that. Um, when we're in a state of loss, we have a tendency mm. of making um, bad choices as well as mm. choices that we need to we need to deal with. Do you believe that mm. um, uh, there is such a thing as a bad choice? Not really, and I also don't believe that we tend to make bad choices. I I don't believe in that anymore. There is so much mindset happening around that. I've been I've been working with mindset for way over a decade now and um, if there's one thing that I do believe is that we do have the choice how we think how we feel how we create our life and that constant oh we, we make bad choices or we tend to we already includes everyone and um, if there's something negative following that I don't want to be part of that we if that makes sense because my, my brain instantly goes like I don't I'm quite happy with the choices I make. Do you know what I mean? I, I literally step away from that. And it's a really important point, I think, that you brought up here, John, because, there, again, there is choice involved in that. Who do we surround ourselves with? You know, are these people that we choose in our circle of influence, in our inner circle, or in the circle of people that we hang out with even on a casual basis, are they supportive of my healing? Or are they keeping me stuck in widowhood like it's you know society labels us as in there is sadness and there's ongoing sadness and it'll be with you forever i i actually did an entire talk a tedx talk on redefining our image of a widow because i just really love uh talking about labels you know labels keep us stuck labels actually make us live up to the expectation of whatever that label carries and widowhood has got quite a dark uh, label and huge expectations around staying stuck in that and being in pain forever I don't want to choose that widow is something that I every now and then tick because I have to when there's an official form but other than that I don't really use that term because it doesn't suit me I mean I don't feel like a typical widow if that makes sense and I'm quite proud of that that's amazing because I know guys I know a specific guy um used to be a friend of mine yeah. I, I still kind of consider him my a friend, but uh, he lives, he's back in Toronto. He lost his wife about 20, 20 some odd years ago. Mm. And it's just been a downward spiral for him. Mm. Partying late, drinking, um, mm. girls every weekend. And he's got two, he had two little girls at home. And it's like, mm. uh, that's why, that's why I asked that question because you could see, yeah you could clearly see the grieving process in him and he was just mm. making one wrong decision after another, after another, after another, after mm. another. And yeah. that's why I wanted your point of view on it. Um, you brought up another good point uh, in the last talk, the uh, answer that mm -hmm. you had with when it came to love. Um, this is a topic for me that actually really um, confuses a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, I have my point of view on love. I'm sure you have your mm -hmm. point of view on love. And I'd like to, I'd love to hear your point of view on, on love. But mm -hmm. do you think that we have mixed 
the the description of the word love because I'm Greek and we have five different words for that for mm-hmm. that defines that five mm-hmm. different words. So, do you think that we've mixed that um, that definition of what the word of the of what the word love truly means? I I honestly believe we do. Yes, um, you know we as I said, it's part of being human. It's part of that human experience that we do attach conditions to love, but the actual meaning of love is completely not attached to conditions. So yes, even just by humanizing that word, you know, we've already attached conditions to it. And um, when I talk about love, and and this is the interesting part here, uh, because you can't hear it when I talk about it, but when I actually write it in my group, when I talk about that pure love that has no conditions, that just wants you to be happy, I always write love with a capital L. It's really important to me, you know. And uh, when I think about love, I'm thinking of the love that you experience when you pass over and there's nothing but this pure form of love and peace. And there is no guilt. Guilt is a huge topic in grief as well, where I always say, guilt only exists here on this side. On the other side, there's none of that. And I want to quickly throw that in there. Actually, I know we are talking about love, but this is really important now that we've got the topic of guilt coming in here. Um, I always say it's, it's like a tug of war. You know, when you imagine two people holding onto a rope and the longer you pull and the longer you play tug of war, the more it hurts because of the friction. You know, your hands start hurting and they can get really, really raw. And guilt is a tug of war that you're trying to play with a person on the other side. That person on the other side has already passed over. There is no grief on the other Uh, no guilt or grief on the other side there is no um heavy emotion all you have on the other side is the purest form of love and peace so you keep tugging but there's nobody else tugging so you may as well let go game's over there is no guilt there is no space and no reason for guilt because as soon as the other person passes over he or she is already at peace so the guilt has got no place in it it's just a human concept that you're making up that is not helping you or the other person. And I know that it sounds too easy and no, it's too easy. I can't just let go. But the answer is yes, you can. Absolutely, yes, you can. And I'm more than happy to talk to anyone in person about this. But anyway, coming back to love. Yes, I think um, the purest form of love is just really unconditionally, yet there are so many different conditions that we have attached to it in our humanness. And you know that's just part of being human. I'm not judging it as good or bad it's just the way it is it's just the way we live and yeah i'm not really sure if that answers your question completely but uh no it's a good answer it's a good answer um i was uh i read in a a book from a greek orthodox uh uh, archbishop in cyprus and he said uh love is um if you and someone else die at the same time and you're found in the christian christians are right you're found at the pearly gates Mm -hmm. and st peter's at the gate Mm -hmm. And he says that uh, if uh, you can go into heaven, but your partner has to go to hell, love is mm. switch places with that person. Mm. That's wow. <laughs> See, that to me is very Catholic already. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would agree with that. That's love. I, I understand the concept that is meant behind that. And I think that's truly beautiful. But uh, yeah, I. I it's don't think that self-sacrifice anyway. self-sacrifice yeah <laughs> um, 
moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about your healing strategies. What kind of healing strategies do you have for people? I believe one of the biggest parts that's an element in everything I do in all the healing journeys and programs and retreats I run is a shift in perspective. And that's what I touched on before when I said the role reversal. You know, if I was on the other side and it was me who had passed so suddenly and Rob was left behind with the boys, I would want him to be happy. You know, it's literally that shift in perspective that actually already shows you what your loved one would want for you. All you need to do is put yourself into his or her shoes and look down on your own life and then make the decision again. Are you making the right choices from where you're at right now? If you were on the other side, would you want the exact same choices that you are making right now for your loved one if the roles were reversed? So that in itself is a huge and very powerful exercise already. And I tend to not use this exercise too too soon because I always feel there is a build-up and there is a learning curve to actually come to the point where you are okay to allow that in, where you're okay to do that. And some get to the point way sooner than others. I always gauged it by where the person is at because, you know, everybody needs different, um, a different amount of time to heal and to get to that place. So acceptance is a really, really big thing and holding space for people. We tend to not listen enough in our society. We tend to wanting to swamp people with advice. And unfortunately, most of this advice are stories from other people that you heard about or might even be related to that have also lost someone. And with that, you think that you know exactly what that person is A, going through and B, supposed to do. And A and B are both completely wrong. We don't allow people to find their own way. You know, even in, in my journey, in my movement, what we offer in our movement, the, the journeys, the healing, everything, I offer tools, I offer perspectives. but. I'm not telling you that every tool is for every person. You need to trust your heart and really allow that intuition to come through in what is right for you. That's why I offer so many different levels of support because everybody needs something so different. Yet the main element in the work that I do is holding space, trusting my intuition and shifting perspectives for people. That in itself is already super powerful. You said that... um... You know, people tell stories and thing, and and all mm. that. And that's. Do you think it's kind of important to be able to reference the story in order to give yourself some some form of, uh, uh, like, measuring stick to see uh, this worked for someone? So let's see if, if something similar can work with 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 this person. Permission to be brutally honest. Yes, absolutely. These stories that people tell are solely for them and not for the person they are trying to help ever. And I really mean that absolutely ever. Really, the the people that come up to you and go like, oh, my my sister lost her husband or my friend or whoever, you know, um, these stories are for the people talking to you. It makes them feel better. Oh, I feel I can give her advice. Oh, I feel I can help her. Newsflash, you are not. You're absolutely not helping. This person that you're talking to 
is going through a really, really rough time in their life. They've just experienced deepest adversity and you come along and add to their pile. You're not taking away from their pile. You add to their pile with a story that means absolutely nothing to them. You feel that you give them the feeling you understand, but you're not. You're doing the complete opposite. And that is something that most people, unfortunately, don't understand. You are doing the complete opposite by sharing stories about grief. Because everyone listening to this, most people smile and wave politely because that's all they've got left. And then you go into the grief groups and hear what they actually say. And then you read things like, and I'm being absolutely brutally honest here because that's exactly what you read in there. I just wanted to punch her in the face. I just wanted to vomit. I just wanted to, I felt so revolted. I'm so sick of people telling me these stories. I can't take it anymore. I can't hear it anymore. Yet they've got nothing left. They're in such a weak state at that moment or can be in such a weak state. Not all of them are, but they've got nothing left to say, just please stop with those stories. Just, I can't take it anymore. And that's not talked about enough. People still think they're helping, but they're not. And that's a very generic one. It's not just, oh, I heard it from one or two people. It's a very generic one. People cannot stand being told other people's grief stories when they're just dealing with their own. It's like, I'll give you a perfect example that most people can easier relate to than that. Because if you haven't experienced it, it's really hard to relate to. But something that people can easier relate to is, when there's a woman running around eight months, nine months pregnant, and all of a sudden all these women come up to her and tell her the worst birth stories ever, the worst birth stories. And I've got no idea why this magically happens all the time. When I was, when I was eight months, nine months pregnant, I remember uh, a friendship completely falling apart because I told her, can you please stop with those negative birth stories? I do not want to hear it. We can talk about it after I had my experience, but don't tell me that before. And this person was so adamant that she needed to pre-warn me how freaking horrible it will be and how painful. And I've just been through my hypnobirthing classes and my breathing techniques and my calming techniques. And she's like, but it will be horrible. And I said, can you just back off? And our friendship was never the same after that, unfortunately. But it really is so interesting that people just want to bombard you with all these horrible stories and they think they're helping, but they're not. So I hope I made this very clear because it's just something that I find very important for people to just listen, just be there and hold space. That's all they need. It's really so important. So it's not just a Greek thing. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> we love our drama. We love our tragedies. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a sort of European thing as well because I'm from Austria. So I know that pretty well, <laughs> that drama. Yeah. Um, you kind of touched up on another point that I wanted to ask you about is so, you know, you, you're going, you're going through this, you know, as a person from the outside, trying to console somebody who just lost somebody, mm. how do you go about, you know, consoling them without having a reference point to mm -hmm. console them with? Yeah, that's a very interesting question as well. I'm really happy that you asked that actually. Because the first thing I came up when you said console, I'm like, mm, that's not really what I want to do. Because consoling is almost, um, it's almost telling them it's okay uh, that you are suffering and I want to make it better. But I actually don't want to keep them there in a suffering. So consoling for me would actually be keeping them there and making them feel comfortable in suffering. That's not what I want to do. 
I want to take them out of the suffering, bring them into the happy land over there, if, if that makes sense. This is where joy resides. This is where we want you. So consoling them to me feels like, um, you know, pat, 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 you're good here. You know, are you comfortable in your pain? Can I bring you something so you can reside a bit longer? That, that's not what I want to do. I want to bring them out. I want to make them feel heard. So that to me is something very different to consoling, if that makes sense. I want to listen to the story. And by listening to their story, I can pick up between the lines what they actually need, how they want to be treated. And by me giving them the feeling that they can actually open their heart to me, which they can, that builds the trust. And this is where when the trust is established, I can then take them by the hand and walk them over to happy land, if that makes sense. So consoling for me, even even those condolences sentences, they just that's just not like I really don't like when people say to me, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm like, why? Yes, it was painful, but it was the most incredible uh transformation in my life. It was such a gift from my husband. People don't have that point of view. I understand that. And it took me a while to get to that, but this is how I see it now. So when people say to me, I'm so sorry for your loss, I'm always like, why? I, I don't understand. I mean, I do because it's such a, you know, this is what society has taught us, but this is not where I live anymore, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I'm with you with that. Like, uh, like mm. I can only reference for, from my heritage and uh, we're, we're yeah. supposed to say, uh, may, he, may he or she have a good paradise. Mm. That's, yeah, what we're supposed like to that. say, that's what we're supposed to say that. to the grieving family. But yeah. uh, instead, a lot of people have uh, have twisted it and say life to you. It's like, what? Mm. What? What? Mm. You're taking this and you're yeah. putting it on them like that. Yeah. No, I never wow. say that. I always <laughs> say may, may he or she have a good paradise. Mm. I like that. Thank you. How do you uh, say it in Greek? Oh, wow. I'm not going to try to say that again. <laughs> or caloparaviso. Um, at what point does someone say, does someone that's grieving, at what point do they say, you know what, enough, enough, enough is enough with this healing. I just need to move forward with my life. I need to move on. How long is a piece of string, really? Um, it is so individual. There is no real time frame, and time frame per se is such an interesting concept because society again are going to come up with society's expectation and, and solutions under quotation marks um, is often that the grieving person receives the most support, really the most intense support in the first three months, and the inner circle I'd say really stays for like you know the first six months. And then there's this interesting concept, like after 12 months, that people sort of expect you. So you've done all the milestones, sort of time for you to move on, you know. And I'm saying that really with, with an absolute sarcasm in my voice because it's not how it works. Like in my case, I made the decision that I wanted to guide the boys and myself onto a path of happiness literally in the first couple of moments when Rob passed. It, it really was so clear to me that that was my path, that that's what I had to do. It came to me very, very quickly. Others don't have that epiphany after 10 years. 
So I was lucky. Here are three things that come up for me why I was lucky in that situation. First of all, my dad passed away when I was 20. And you may rightly say that doesn't sound very lucky. And yes, I don't and definitely didn't see it as lucky back then at all. Yet I do talk about the hidden gifts and adversity a lot. And one of the biggest gifts that I received through the adversity of losing my dad at such a young age was to never live a life of regrets. So Rob and I, we, we told each other how much we loved each other every single day, not out of fear that I would miss out saying it to him one day, but because I really wanted to. And he seemed to be the exact same. You know, we really talked a lot. We had great communication going on. And that to me is a gift that I received through my dad's passing. It, it was almost like a wedding gift from him to have an awesome wedding and marriage with, with my husband, if that makes sense. The second thing is that I worked as a mindset mentor for over seven years at that stage when Rob passed. So I had all these tools, all these shifts in perspectives, all these, um, I knew what it meant to choose life, to choose happiness and what it took for me to actually take the boys there. And it sounds simple and it is simple, but it wasn't easy in the moment, if that makes sense. Yet I had the tools available to me. And the third thing that I was really lucky in is that Rob and I actually had a couple of conversations about that. You know, he would come home from work and there was an accident, there was a fatal accident. And it happened a couple of times because the path from, for him driving home from work led through a one-way street. It was like we literally had to do like an hour drive around if that one road was blocked. Really beautiful road with flowers blooming everywhere in spring and a really beautiful drive to work. Yet when the road was blocked, you were pretty much stuffed. You had to do an hour detour to come home. And every now and then when it happened, it was an opportunity for us to talk about life because the thing is everybody thinks it's theory until it happens to you. You never think that it would happen to you. You hear it on the radio, you are really touched and it would stay with you for a couple of moments, but then you get back into your busy life and you know the story is gone because it's somebody else's story. It's not yours. And this is how it's supposed to be, because if we were to take everything on, we'd be suffering all day long. We'd be just drowning in all these horrible stories around you rather than focusing on our life and the beauty that there is all around. So those stories triggered conversations between us where we had this, what would happen if, if something was to happen to you, what would I want? And we both said to each other, if something was to ever happen to you, I would want you, or to me, I would say, if something was to ever happen to me, I would want you to take the boys and create the happiest life you possibly can. We would say that to each other and we'd really mean it. Because again, that's what love is. Love is that simple. And I meant it and I knew that Rob meant it. And when all of a sudden it wasn't theory anymore and it became our reality, I knew exactly that that's what I had to do. And that's exactly what I chose from the first moment onwards. From the first moment when I had to walk down these stairs right in front of me and the boys were sitting downstairs on the sofa and they were ready to go to Hapkido. They did martial arts. They were dressed for training. And I received that phone call and I had to tell them and they fell apart and they cried and they screamed and we all cried together and I hugged them. And my eldest looked at me and he was 10 and he said, who's going to look after us now, mom? And I said, I will. I will look after us. And that moment, I did not realize that till way later how important it was for me 
and for the boys to say that out loud, for me to say it, for them to hear it. And that was the decision I made there and then. I'm not just going to look after them. I'm going to create the freaking happiest life I possibly can. And that's what I'm still doing now. It's my absolute mission. That's my sole purpose in life, to create an amazing and happy life for them and hopefully inspire a whole bunch of hundreds of thousands of people around me on the way. That's, wow, that's amazing. Um, I can't even imagine what that would, what that phone call, what, it, what, what, would have been going through your mind during that phone call. I don't need, I can't imagine. And to be honest, mm. bluntly honest, I don't ever want to imagine that kind of a phone call. Mm. And that just shows yeah. a lot of strength on your end to be able to walk down and just talk to uh, your boys like that. Um, mm. I'm, I wow. just knew that moment. They had to be the first ones to know. I could not imagine talking to anyone about it and the boys not knowing it. That was really important to me. I just knew they had to be the first ones to know. That was very intense, but uh, yeah. That's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm actually, bl I'm blown mm. away, but very good. Um, mm. uh, you me. actually, uh, we've been talking a lot about empowering other people and, mm. and uh, in, in the hardest parts of their lives. And it's not an, easy thing for the other person to be feeling that kind of, you know, uh, sunshine and rainbows when the mm -hmm. world around them is falling apart. Mm. Do you ever get any clients, I'm going to call them, or people around mm -hmm. you that are like, oh my God, here comes Maria. I just want to be by myself right now. <laughs> I really don't know. You'd have to ask them, but uh, <laughs> I think, um, I love it that you asked me that. I think having the title of my movement, Loving Life After Loss, it is pretty much a very good filter of who wants to be in that space and who chooses to be there. But saying that, you know, even, even my team of moderators, I have two, I have three moderators that work with me on an ongoing basis that help me hold space for the group, welcome people into the group, answer questions, comments, etc. Keep an eye out for people that come into the group that are not supposed to be there. And even they come and go in, in waves, as in they have their own healing journey to go through. And, uh, you know, they've been doing work with me for so long. They know my perspective. And I, I know when they retreat that they need space. And I, I totally let them. I'm not going like, hey, where, where, where are you? I haven't seen you for a while. I know. And they always come back and say, I've been going through this wave of healing. I've been going through another layer of healing. And sometimes they would retreat and sometimes they would come to me for that. And that's absolutely fine. And that goes for everyone in the group. So there are a lot of people in the movement that are sitting on the sidelines and they might be doing that for a year, for two, for three years. And then all of a sudden they come out and they always tell me that. I've been watching you for a long time, you know, and now I feel ready. And I love that. I love that they do that because that's what I want. I want people to feel welcome in the space and not pressured to share or, you know, there's one really unhealthy thing that I see happening in a lot of grief support groups. And I'm very proud to say that I don't see that a lot or hardly at all in our movement. And that is comparison. It is really incredible how there's often a comparison battle going on about 
whose loss is fresher, whose husband was younger, who had more kids or younger kids, or whose kids weren't even born yet. You know, I actually talk about that in, in a TEDx talk that I mentioned, the redefining our image of a widow. That comparison is killing us. It's not helping us at all. It's not helping us heal. It's like those condolences lines. Like, how does it help anyone what other people are suffering with? So rather than comparing for a sense of victimhood or you can get more attention through that, and I'll say that with a whole lot of love and respect, we need to use that to understand people and to hold space for them. So I'm very big on when somebody shares, please just listen and hold space for them and don't come in with all of your stuff, you know have your own post about that and then other people can hold space for you i i see that happening all the time in our group and i really appreciate that and people really do step back from their own story and just listen and just hold space for that person sharing i love that i think that's the only way how we can really heal when we feel there's actually somebody there listening to us and holding space for us because then you feel validated and that's where i can pick you up from if that makes sense i need to know where you're at so i can pick you up so I do want to listen to the story, but I don't want you to f- keep you stuck there. That's my biggest thing in what I do. You said something there, and um, it, it always, whenever I hear somebody say that, you know, I'm comparing myself to this person, mm-hmm. and my my this is more than this person. Mm-hmm. And I, whenever somebody tells me that, it always falls back for me personally to the martial arts world because that's mm-hmm. where I've grew up mostly in my life is in the yeah. martial arts world. And it's always mm-hmm. my martial arts is better than yours. And mm. both martial arts are the same. My dojo yeah. is better than yours. Mm. And it's, mm. it's, it's always this competition that, you know, my thing is better than yours because I'm mm. special and it hurt me more than it hurt you. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do you make people identify that the pain is the same? Mm. well I don't think it is I don't think the pain is the same and I'm saying that because this topic came up when we talked about um, there's another myth and I'm being very careful in how word this as you can tell Uh, one of my moderators actually two of the moderators uh, both have lost a child, one of them, the only son, and the other one, one of two sons. And uh, I even I even had that concept before I started loving love after loss, because I had so much to learn when I went into this space, uh, that there is no grief harder or worse than losing your own child. And I had this belief and I strongly believed it. I thought this is not natural. Children shouldn't go before us. I had the exact belief that society teaches us too. And then Christopher came along, one of our moderators, and he said, Marie, I don't agree with that. And I was like, wow, I was blown away to hear that from a parent who's actually experienced it, you know. And he said, who are we to judge whose grief is worse or harder or easier? Um, We all experience a level of pain. And it might be so different depending on so many circumstances, what the relationship was like, what the environment was like, what um, 
your own mindset was like that's a huge one you know where do you stand like I had such a strong and healthy mindset already before Rob passed so I strongly believe that um, even though my pain was intense that I was dealing with it very differently so I'd be very careful in going into comparison with that as well you know that the pain is all the same uh, it's probably not some people really experience it a lot more intense and not because they love their husband or their child or whoever that was so much more so there's another misconception from society the more you love the person the more you grieve absolutely not true the more i love rob the more i want to be happy that's my philosophy you know the more i want to create a happy life for the boys and then that's how i honor him so yeah comparison overall it's just I, i'd just say be very careful with that don't go into assumption don't go into comparing or don't go into we all grieve the same or we all experience the same pain because i don't believe that yeah and it again i can only compare it to martial arts which is you yeah. know people ask me all the time john what's what's the best martial art out there i'm like i don't yeah. know what do you like whatever feels right for you <laughs> exactly <laughs> what yeah because it's like uh, the physical and spiritual cons mm. both they both yeah. work hand in hand in martial arts so it's like yeah. okay what works yeah. for you like you have to figure yeah. that out um Absolutely. we've covered two myths throughout this mm -hmm. topic uh what are the big yeah. three when it comes to grieving the big three are there your top three that you see that top three myths that are the out top there myths. Yeah. yeah i think the top three myths is that grief will stay with you forever absolutely don't believe that that um losing a child is the worst grief there is i used to believe that i agree with christopher my moderator in the group i don't believe that anymore it really depends on where you stand in life, um, what you experience as the worst or easiest or not. I don't think there is an easy when it comes to grief. That's, that's one of the biggest things, you know, but it really comes back to choices. And one of the biggest myths as well around grief is um, I hear that a lot that people, in particular moms, I'm going to be quite specific about this now. Um, I hear that from moms a lot. Well, I had no choice. I had to get myself out of bed every day for my kids. I had no choice. And I always look at them and I'm like, you are not owning the choices that you're making. I really want you to own it. You are making a choice. You are doing it. Unfortunately, there are lots of people who don't choose to get out of bed, who choose that they are better off just staying in bed and they can't. And, and also like people don't understand that even not making a choice is a choice, if that makes sense, you know. So there are people who stay in bed. There are people who go down that path of uh, mental illness and maybe even drugs or alcohol or unfortunately also suicide. So there are other choices around and you did not choose them. You chose to get up every morning. You chose to show up for your child. You chose to get dressed this morning and drive your, uh, your son, your daughter to school. I want you to own that. I want you to be proud of yourself for doing so and not slide into victimhood mentality. Well, I had no choice. I had to. Uh -uh. You did it. You chose to. And that's amazing. I want to congratulate you. I want to hug you for that. You're amazing. You're doing a great job. And all of the moms that I go through that experience with go like, 
wow, wow, thank you. I, I didn't even realize. And it's so empowering. It's so simple. It's another shift in perspective, you know. But that's that whole, I had no choice. It's a victimhood mentality. You did have a choice and you made it. So be proud of yourself. Do you think it's important for somebody to stay in victimhood mentality for just a little bit? Nope. Love it. That's great. <laughs> no, I really don't think it's important at all. It's important to allow yourself to feel the emotions, but that's got nothing to do with victimhood mentality. Victimhood is when you slide into poor me and when you, um, when you just stay stuck in this, um, you know, life's happening to me rather than for me. And don't get me wrong, we all have these moments of feeling sorry for ourselves. I even have those moments, although I so don't live in victimhood mentality anymore. I used to for a long time. I learned a lot of that from my family. And when I recognized it, I didn't like it, so I changed it. You, you have the power to change anything in your life that you don't like. You don't have to stay there, you know. And I have moments where I do feel sorry for myself, but they're very rare. And I don't like staying there. I just cried out. I completely admit it. I own it and sob it out and move on. It's, it's really something. It sounds very tough and harsh. I don't mean it in that way at all. It's just because I've done so much work on my mindset and on my choices already that it sounds so straightforward to me. But I don't mean it in a harsh or unemotional way at all. It might come across like that when I hear myself say it. I'm like, oh, that sounds really harsh. But it's not the way. I feel it. I've just done so much work through it on my mindset in my own healing journey that it has become that straightforward for me to allow the emotion, to feel it wholeheartedly and uh, have a hot bath, sob it out, put music on to support it all, you know, and, and then make different choices. It, it's okay to let these emotions live because if you don't, they'll never die, you know. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you, you, you keep saying like, have a good cry, have, you know, take mm. a bath, you know, put some calming yeah. music. A lot of guys out there, they're not going to admit that they have a good cry. Mm. Society, as you, as we all know, society has mm. um, labeled us as the hunters, the, mm. the tough, the pillar, the, the pillar of the family. And mm. um, when we do break down, because we are human beings and we do have emotions and we do feel, mm. we break down. Mm. How would you go about, con I won't say consoling, but how would you mm. handle a guy mm. that's going through a grieving process and he doesn't just doesn't yeah. want to break down. Mm. It's really beautiful. I'm so grateful that you asked me that, John, because um, at the beginning, I mainly work with women and still the group that I started here, the, the movement that we have is uh, predominantly women, 95%. And I've seen just lately an increase in men coming in and also um, the first person who signed up for the retreat coming in July now, we, we're almost booked out by now, but the first person that signed up for it was a man. And I was like, why wouldn't I take men along to the retreat? I think it is so important. My mindset at first was uh, I need to keep this for women only. And then I thought, why? They're all souls that want to heal. 
And I've actually added uh, something to my retreat that I really love, and you'll love this too, I think. And that is the work around um, honoring the divine feminine and the divine masculine within us. And all of us have both. And what I found quite interesting, I have done so much work around this because I realized when Rob died, I instantly, without thinking, that's something that just happens subconsciously. And you'll see that with men too. So for me, I instantly stepped into really powerfully into my divine masculine because all of a sudden I was the provider. I was the hunter. I was the protector of the family. And I really lived my divine masculine really strongly. And it really showed I was wearing more pants. I was wearing my hair up a lot more or back. And I was wearing, like it really showed in the way I presented myself as well. I really felt that divine masculine was really stepping forward and I became the protector. And then about one and a half years into it, I recognized it and my divine feminine was screaming out for attention. And I really wanted to, um, you know, celebrate her. So I went back into more feminine colors, wearing my hair out, like really celebrating her and doing lots for self-love, for nurturing. I go to regular massages. I do kahuna, you know, it's a Hawaiian healing massage I love it it's got a lot to do with celebrating and embracing your femininity and at the retreat I do a lot of work in honoring both and creating the harmony between the two of them because we do need both and I hear that a lot from men for the complete opposite one of my closest uh, friends um, he's a single dad and he said that's really interesting that he said that I had this conversation with him the other day um, over dinner when he came over and I said, you know, I've, I've been doing this work and I really love it. And he's like, it's really interesting you say that because I really stepped into my divine feminine a lot more. He wouldn't call it that, but, you know, he's not into this, into this realm like I am. But he said, yeah, I definitely brought my female side out a lot more because I needed to be nurturing for my son. And I needed to be, you know, he needed that nurturing part that a, a female usually brings into the relationship. And here's the thing, when you are all of a sudden a sole parent, that's another epiphany I had about three years into it. That's how long it took me that I wasn't a single parent. I was a sole parent. There was only me. Single parents usually have another single parent somewhere where they share, you know, responsibilities and talks and finances and all that stuff. It was only me. I'm a sole parent. And I realized, wow, this, this is really different. And I had to own that and step into that. And as a sole parent, you have to bring both to the table. They do need that. And sometimes it's okay to bring that in from the outside in the form of a family member or a close friend. Like uh, this really close friend of mine, he's, he's quite capable of stepping into that. Or Rob's brother is capable of stepping into that when the boys really need a male influence. And there are certain things they really don't want to chat to me about. And that's fine, you know. Um, yeah, but I, I just love that, that you brought that up because it really is important to to honor both within us, uh, not even just as a widow or a widower, just as a human being, to honor both parts within you and know when they are needed. Um, you, we kind of touched up on what I wanted to talk about after, uh, right after that, right after yeah. that answer was uh, uh, a lot of guys out there that are alone. Um, mm. They don't have a partner. They don't have children. They're just by themselves. And mm. when you start talking to them I, personally, yeah. coming from a guy when you're like oh you, you have to let your divine feminine come up i'm not gonna mm. 
I'm not, mm. I, I will let it out in the way <laughs> that I think it's going to go out. I'm not going to put mm. on a dress. Uh, now, mm. if, if oh, you're a guy, so. if you're a guy and you want to put on a dress, you want to put on makeup, I'm, mm. it is what it is. I'm not going to say what my point of view on that, but it is what it is. Different do what podcast. you want to do. But um, <laughs> me personally, I will not do something like that. Can you, mm. ex can you give an example of what bringing out a divine feminine for a guy that's alone that doesn't have kids? Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting that, that you say that a definitely different podcast, but when you said, I'm not going to put on dresses and I instantly said, of course not. And I thought it's really interesting how our society, it's so normal for girls, for women, that it's okay to wear jeans, uh, pants, but for a guy to put on a dress, it's instantly, oh my God, you know, like there's instantly labels that come out with that. But anyway, as, as we said, different podcasts. Uh, back to your question. I think, yes, the wording is really, really important. So I use this wording because this is how I talk and this is how I think. Yet, obviously, I do adjust my wording to depending on who I talk to. And um, even when I talk to my best friend about it and I talk about divine feminine, I understand that this is not his wording, but he totally understood. And we, we both talked about that as well, the wording that I use and that it's different for men. And that he says, yeah, it's my feminine side. That's what blokes would rather say, my feminine side, rather than even though that's not very blokey to say that, but that's what they could relate to and understand when you talk to them about the masculine side, the feminine side, everybody would get that no matter how blokey or how masculine you are, you'd understand that. And we all need these things. And talking to a guy that doesn't have kids and that might have just lost his partner to say, you know, it is okay uh, to allow that in. It is more in terms of um, what we, we like very personally, I'm not even talking we as society, but we as a person. So for let's let's say for you, for example, if you were in that position that you have lost your partner and that you are going through this and I'm having this chat just to you, nobody else listening out there. And I'm saying, John, um, you know, what is it that you need? I always start with what is it that you need? What is it that you actually miss the most? Because this is where we even get into this topic without even having to touch on feminine or masculine at all there's different ways to talk about it and one of the first steps i have this program called from grief to relief it's a seven step healing journey that people can go through um, and the first step is to separate who you have lost from what you have lost and this is where you can look at what are the things that you actually miss the most we always attach it all to one person and when that person's gone we feel like we've lost it all but it's not true we, A, haven't lost it all, but we attach it to the one person. So, of course, we feel everything's gone. But when we look at what are the things that I actually miss the most? For me, it was feeling safe. Rob represented, you know, my knight in shining armor. I'd always feel safe with him. I wouldn't even have to think about it. But when he was gone, I thought about it. And then the second step is how can I create that? This is where we go into creation. Creation is empowering. And it's not about replacing at all. But it's about, okay, there are certain things I cannot do and there are certain things I can do. So my focus is always on what can you do, not what can't you do. What, why would I waste time with that? Just make sure to look at the things. What can I do? Well, I can make ourselves feel safe. How do I do that? I did things like the first thing I did was I pushed our bed in one corner because I wanted a corner to cradle up in, to feel safe in. 
it's just a physiological and emotional thing where you're like, okay, when I can curl up, I feel safer rather than people can walk around my entire bed. I just wanted to have the bed in a corner. One of the first things I did every night, I would check that the front and the back doors are locked. So I didn't have to lay in bed worrying. I was, did I lock the did I lock this? Could somebody walk in? You know, it's like just those little things that you can do to make yourself feel safe. And I'm not even talking, oh, I'm stepping into my divine masculine. I'm going and look. It's not about that. It's it's all these things that you do that you need. And of course, if you want to look through it from that um, angle that you go, okay, what of these things are masculine? What of these things are typically feminine? And I should say typically because, you know, everybody can <laughs> don't know, lock the door or do things like that. But it's it's all about looking at your needs and then finding ways how you can fill these needs. And that's what's important because that's what brings you back into creation and what brings you back into a state of empowerment of choices that you can make. Does that answer my, uh, your question? Oh, yeah. With in spades. Yeah. In spades. <laughs> um, it, it just feels like there's a very delicate balance when it comes to this whole thing because um, I remember when... Uh, when I uh, left my ex-fiance, like I, I was in a, I was in shambles for mm. about two years. Mm. All I wanted to do was hide. Um, I didn't want to see anybody. I I went from mm. working my yeah. dream job, beautiful, amazing career, great, great relationship, and and within a month, I lost everything. And just like you explained, like you pushed your bed to the corner. I was, mm. I was grabbing my pillow mm. because I missed holding yeah. her when, when, when we were sleeping, I yeah. missed it. So I was grabbing my pillow. I was kind of giving myself that comfort. So mm. it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a real thing. And it's for, it's like I said, we're human beings with feelings and mm. emotions and we need mm. to, we need to identify that and we need to, um, yeah. Um, acknowledge it do you agree with uh, like acknowledging stuff like that for men Absolutely. as well as women 100 in particular for men because as women we are quite good and quite accustomed to acknowledging where we are and and talking you know women are talkers that's that's in our blood we sit around the fireplace you know and talk that's that's literally ingrained in us and men are like more like grunting you know when it comes to absolute basics and you get the acknowledgement nod and hug and whoop 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 it's really funny how people talk about it in in a joking way but we we have to um, acknowledge that it's nothing negative or, or positive it just is how we were brought up and that sort of caveman mentality is still within us we still have that and i think that men need a lot more acknowledgement in what they do and what they need than women because we tend to give that to each other naturally while we sit around the fireplace and talk so so to say in caveman language but yeah well, that's uh so true so true mm -hmm. uh we are coming up close to the end of the show uh these are the mm -hmm. seven or eight questions i ask all my guests and Ooh. i just would Ready. love to get your perspective <laughs> And don't worry, it's not political. It's not, it's not a, not none of that stuff. Um, with the increase in people Can suffering. Can I use the phone a friend option? I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
uh, with the increase in people suffering from depression, from the constant uncertainty that we're living in last two years, uh, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Mm. Oh, I love it. Um, I instantly thought of uh, a new friend that I made through LinkedIn. I've interviewed him twice in our group, Jeff Johnson. He's on a tour throughout the US, um, raising awareness for mental health. Absolutely beautiful. And he said a very, very powerful sentence that stuck with me ever since his first interview with me. And that is the opposite of addiction is connection. And in a time where we all need to be so mindful of keeping ourselves mentally healthy, I'd say we need to keep ourselves connected, really, really focus on connecting with people. We are so disconnected in a time where we are, uh, we are um, virtually so connected. We feel so disconnected because we don't have these real connections anymore, you know, sitting with people. Um, and I think we need to pay attention to actively creating that a lot more in our lives and choosing that in our lives to connect with people. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what's the one thing that you do daily that amplifies your ability to stay focused? Oh, I love it. I do have daily habits. Uh, it's actually, I've got a whole, uh, a whole calendar that I tick through of daily habits um, because I've got a beautiful mentoring group where we hold each other accountable. But I think one thing that I want to pick is music because music can influence your state instantly. And Yesterday, I had a day where I woke up a bit heavier than usual, like um, luckily not kilo-wise, but, you know, mentally. And I just jumped out of bed and put on music that made me happy. And I listened to that same song twice because it made me so happy. I'm like, I want that again, you know. And I think music is a really simple one that anybody can use. If you have a day where you don't feel as chirpy as usual, just choose a happy song, have a happy playlist, create one. You know, it's, it's really easy to do that. Very good. Yeah. Um, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself mm -hmm. at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Ooh, I've got you. I've got you. You've got this. I really, oh, it's, it's so interesting. What would you say to a one-year-old? How would they understand it in their language? You know, but uh, just, I love you. That's all I would say. You're amazing just the way you are. Incredible things are coming. How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i think it's just really nurturing loving upon them is really important looking back would you, you change do that now yeah you're you a child sorry <laughs> no it's okay yeah. it's okay it's all good looking back looking back would you change anything wow that should be such as such an easy answer but um my instant reaction was no there's always things that you wish that you would have learned earlier or, you know, but everything that happened led me to where and who I am now. So the answer has to be no. Very good. Mm. What scares you? That my kids would get hurt. That's the only thing that really scares me. I feel their pain so much more than my own. It's just... That just comes with being a mama bear in shining armor. That's what I refer to myself as. So, yeah. Somebody hurting my kids. I see that with my sister too. So I, I, I see it. I understand it. My uh, nephews get a little scratched. My sister's legs go out. 
it's not even about that because they're boys you know they'll always get scratches but I, I i hear you for me it's more like the really deep emotional um pain that anybody could do to them that that's or when it comes to grief people always often ask me that you know where you're at with that and i'm like i feel their pain so much more than mine i really i really worry how they are coping with it and i always feel they're coping really well but you don't ever really know what's going on deep within and that's my only that's my only worry but all I can do is be a shining example and I think I'm doing that on a daily basis so yeah yeah I, I just want them to be happy I, I don't ask this question but you're pushing for a follow-up question on this <laughs> go for it <laughs> you said emotional pain you don't want them to experience an emotional pain but do you think it's important yeah. for their development as a of human being is. to go through emotion, emotional yeah, pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it's, uh, you know, that's where the most growth happens yet as a mom, as a parent, you can't help, but not wanting to have pain for them. But on the other hand, all we can do is hold space for them because through that pain, there will be growth, you know? So yeah, it's a full on catch 22 question and I, I get it, but still I can't help but saying, I don't want them to experience pain, but yes, it is important awesome um where do you see the movement loving life after loss in the next five years hmm. we're just in a very very exciting state at the moment because i'm in the process of rolling out two things in june one is um more diy programs so we can reach really the masses i want as many people as possible to get through these steps of healing and healing journeys I want to make it available for as many people as possible. And the other thing is that um, it's been a long time coming. I am rolling out our membership and uh, you're only the second person I'm telling this because literally I only talked about this yesterday with my team of moderators and then I had an interview after that. So you're the second interview where I'm sharing this because it's not even uh, rolled out in the group yet. So yeah, there will be a membership for people who want to have ongoing support as in group coaching calls every two weeks and guest speakers come in, et cetera. And that is starting officially on the 1st of July. So the membership is actually called after my second book. And I thought that is so perfect because the movement is called after the first book, Loving Love After Loss, and the membership will be called after the second book, which is Happy Healing. So yeah, I decided I'm gonna use that name for the membership as well. And it's just so picture perfect as a title. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. Send me the link when it's live so I can post it with the show notes yep, and everything. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you. Um, what about you personally? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Ooh, I'd say happy in a new relationship. I'm putting it out there. Thanks, universe. And um, having more people supporting the movement and yeah, just a really, really close relationship still with the boys, doing things actively with them and uh, being very, very connected to the present moment with them. Cool, cool. Uh, mm. Where can people find more about you? I think the easiest and simplest way is my website, mariealessi.com. And it's just first name, last name .com because everything that we've talked about here today, including the membership, that will also be on the website, you can find my group through that. You can find out more about the books, the courses. You can book a chat with me. You can listen to interviews. This one will be on there too if you send me the link. So yeah, you can find anything and everything about me and about the movement on the website. So that will be the easiest 
way to get in touch. Awesome. Uh, you will get a link when I get a chance on getting this up yep. and running. Um, Absolutely. And <laughs> I will post all the links that you gave me with the show notes mm -hmm. so everybody has easy access to you yeah. and your services. Thank you. Uh, any final thoughts? If you have any doubts that healing is possible for you, please reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to just have a chat to you about it. I'm not going to push you into anything, but I really feel I want the entire world to know that healing is possible. That's Mer it. Marie, thank you so much for coming on this show. This has been a very great show. I, I really had a great time talking to you, asking you some really deep questions. Mm. Um, There's some very hard topic, you know, mm. and the work that you do is it's not easy and uh, it takes a strong character to do the work that you do. So I really appreciate the work that you thank do. You. Um, all the power to you. And I know it's not going to, it's going to, it's going to explode. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, John. And I really, really appreciate those questions and for you holding space for me to share all of that. Thank you. Welcome. Um, going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world. Hey guys, John from Resilient Reboot Productions and the Fitness Oracle. Uh, thank you so much for watching this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell, and share if you're watching on YouTube or Rumble. Um, if you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast Breaker, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or whatever streaming service that you are using, please give us a five-star review. Uh, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review as it will help us reach out, reach out to more people that are suffering from mental health issues. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to the Band of Brothers. Over the years, we have discovered a system to help, men, to help men regain their confidence who, because of a world that has become so fast-paced and the requirement of simply being a provider has changed men and have lost, and we have lost our place in this world. We've put together a group of men that are here to support your journey showing you how easy it really is by implementing simple everyday actions that take little to no time out of your day. All you have to do is just click the link below to get a one-on-one -on -one call with me so we can identify your issue and how we can best serve you with these calls. I hope to see you and I'll, I hope to see you on the call and I'll see you guys soon.